Some days my childhood feels so very far away. And others, I can almost see it. A magical land of my youth, like a beautiful dream of when the whole world felt like a promise and the lessons that lay ahead yet unseen. Looking back, I wish I'd listened. Wish I'd watched more closely and understood. But sometimes you can't see what you're learning until you come out the other side. In this contest, humble even the most seasoned warriors, Diana. I can do it. Just do your best. And remember, greatness is not what you think. Pace yourself and watch. the DC Film Squadcast. This is a DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans with DC Comics doing on the big and small screen, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Squadcast, and we are here for a special holiday movie review. It's like, it's everything. <laughs> it, it's, it's Christmas. It's a movie review. It it's is. all the things we podcast. It is. It is. And, and so we're going to be reviewing Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to Wonder Woman from what year was it? Is it 2017. 2017. Yeah, gosh, it's 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 taken a lot longer to get here than we realized. <laughs> well, it's taken a lot longer to get here than I think some people planned on anyway. For sure, for sure. And then, uh, so yeah, we're gonna give our review. We both had a chance to see it a, a couple times, I believe, at this point. And yes. um, and we're gonna I, at the end of this, I, I'm curious to see what your rankings are for DC extended universe films and see where this one falls. Yes, I have had great flux, and I haven't finished all my rewatches, but I can at least I'll at least be able to do tears at this point. Which ones do you need to do yet? Uh, I need to finish rewatching Aquaman, and I already saw Birds of Prey twice in theaters, but I wanted to watch it again just to kind of refresh myself. Okay, all right, very good. So, real quick, standard announcements, guys. This is a PSA about our network, Squadcast Media. We have film and TV review shows. We'd encourage you to go listen to DC Film Squadcast, which is this one, DC TV Squadcast, Fans Without Borders, Marvel Squadcast, and Squadcast Movies. And then we also have some comics review shows, DC. 
DC Comics Squadcast, the horror comics podcast, and Enter the Night. And of course, we also have our Patreon because we are a fan supporter network at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia, which does have some exclusive content. We do plan on recording that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 review next week. That's going to be a very different review from this one, but just yeah, saying. I'm looking forward to knocking that one out in 2020. Yeah. I just figure, just, let's get everything out of the way in this year. <laughs> you just want, you want the Turtles franchise to be, you want to leave that in 2020 with everything else, right? I do, I do, I do. I want to bury it in this in this year. So, yes, we're going to knock that one out. Oh, man. Okay, so, Tim, Wonder Woman 1984. I have seen it twice. I saw it Christmas night on HBO Max, and my wife and I, I, I think it's fair to say, I literally just walked in the door from seeing it in IMAX with my wife. Okay, so your wife did not watch it with you on HBO Max? She started to, but... Christmas Day is a long day, and she didn't make it the last hour, and she had okay. to go to sleep. Yeah, so my wife and I watched it Christmas night after we got the kids to bed, and uh, we made it all the way through the whole movie, uh, both of us, so that was it was nice. Uh, so I got one full viewing. And then today, I actually watched it with my two kids. So Ooh, yeah. I will be very interested to hear that perspective into the view. Yeah, and that's going to play a part in this, I, I will say that. So Okay, so starting off, I want to start off, because I feel like it's just where we are, I want to start off with the strengths of the movie yes and i'm going to go ahead and say that there is going to be for me a lot of comparisons between this movie and wonder woman 2017 yeah because i and i and i think in some ways that's fair we're talking about two movies in the same franchise the same arm of the franchise same director you know same stars in a few years i feel like this is a good apples to apples comparison Mm -hmm. not trying to compare it to other movies in the franchise which that can get a little apples and oranges in my opinion. Right, right. Uh, Positives I want to start off with. One, I really do feel like this movie shows even a growth in Gaul's performance as the character from movie to movie. Yeah. uh, There were some parts of this. I I would agree with you as a whole. I I think um, she has grown in the character uh, also as an actress. There were some parts of it that I felt like were still a little bit weakly delivered, but I I feel like there were some really strong moments with her, uh, especially towards the end of the film. Oh, absolutely. And and some of that, I would almost argue, was that Gaul or was that the script? Then we'll save that for later in the review. But I felt like she she had some really nice moments, especially since she's playing a more mature Diana versus the sort of starry-eyed, naive Diana that she played in Wonder Woman 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely her mindset is is quite a bit different in this film you know, as compared to where she was when you know when she first entered into Man's World. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things. Um, you know that we were able to kind of explore with this film. Uh, I, I I thought some of her strongest moments were the quiet moments, mm-hmm. like the quiet character moments that she had with... Uh, <laughs> definitely I mean she spends so much of her time with Steve but and, and some of the moments she has with Barbara which I'm going to get into the fact that I wish there was more of those but they those were strong too in a way that I wish there was more of them in this film but then also there's that there's that big moment not at the end but towards the end her last scene with Steve that oh, I thought was powerful oh! it was a really powerful scene yeah that was that to me is like one of the highlights of the film is that scene right there mm-hmm. yeah very much so any any particular uh, i i know i just named that scene but are there any other moments that really sort of stood out for you as far as gall and her performance uh you know i thought and you kind of touched on it i kind of felt like her interactions uh, with barbara you know some of the quiet moments i thought were pretty strong especially when they kind of sat down and had that little heart to heart at that restaurant uh i i felt like i wanted to have you know more of that you know because i you know this is this is a film where i definitely wanted a lot of character development especially with you know barbara and uh you know especially being able to see where Diana was now after however many years, 60 years or so, 65 years, I guess we would say, since she had, you know, uh, lost Steve. And I was really interested to kind of see where she was at. You know, she's still in, you know, she's, you know, not on Themyscira. Uh, she's out in Man's World. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, after what she went through with World War One, uh, you know, what what's her state of mind? And I and I felt like her being able to have those moments w- was pretty enlightening for me anyway. Yeah. A part about 1984 that definitely was an upgrade from uh, Wonder Woman 2017 was, I think we both criticized this back in our original Wonder Woman review, was that the villains, you know, we were talking about Ludendorff and Ares and Dr. Poison in the first film, were very much cookie 
cutter cardboard cutouts of villains. This movie between Barbara and Maxwell Lord, I felt gave us much more fleshed out villain portrayals like we've come to expect from DCEU movies. Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't, uh, and we'll get into this, I, I wasn't completely thrilled with Maxwell Lord in his film. You know, I did like Cheetah. I like Barbara Minerva. I, I, I like that whole side of it. Um, it's just the other the other main villain in this didn't really work for me. Okay, but I guess the I, I got the 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 portrayal maybe was it the portrayal that didn't work for you? Was it the writing for him that didn't work for you? Because I at least was appreciate the fact that at least he had kind of a backstory and that I saw some real motivation out of him, which we really didn't get from the villains in the first movie. And so at least time was spent on the villains in this movie. And for me, that was a plus. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I thought the backstory was was good. You you definitely understood the motivation. You knew where you knew where Maxwell Lord came from. Uh, the betrayal I thought was okay. I I thought the overall the the dialogue and the character type that they uh, went for with Maxwell Lord. That's where I had the biggest issues. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I mean, I mean, I guess this is a great point. Like, expound on that. Uh, I wasn't really interested in him as a villain so much. I mean, his motivation obviously he just he kind of felt like this this need to be accepted and to need to be seen as like important and number one you know ultimately like i i kind of you know i understood all that as a motivation but like uh, watching it kind of play out was was kind of boring to me i didn't uh i didn't really like the performance of uh, of his character you know the character that was kind of developed for him I, I didn't really enjoy his character all that much i don't know i i don't know how best to describe it but i i just was uh, i was kind of bored mostly when he was on screen wow i completely disagree with that actually yeah like he was one of the highlights for me personally like i felt when he was on screen i was getting some really interesting you know character portrayal now did i feel like when i think of max lord as a character i definitely this felt more to me like they just appropriated the name i didn't feel like this was a portrayal of the comic character of the same name and that might be a criticism i would have but i i felt like pedro pascal's performance was one of the highlights of the film for me so that's that's a very interesting perspective like like we we really saw two different sides of that okay. yeah i mean I, I i like pedro pascal's performance i just didn't like the character you understand what i'm saying i don't know i i, I really need you to i really need you to tell me i'm not really sure the character that pedro was asked to portray i i thought he did excellently you know i, I thought he he portrayed um the version that they're going for of maxwell lord i thought he did it very well he did it as well as i could have expected i just wasn't really interested in the character as written as written no i wasn't okay no. yeah that, that's really what it comes down to none of this is against how well he delivered his lines how well his acting was you know the the emotional range that he had especially you know with the storyline of like the abuse that he had as a little child and then the the, the connection that he had or didn't have and realized he needed to have with a son you know I, I thought all that was played out really well i just i just wasn't super interested in the character so it's simply okay. that much yeah i'll tell you for me when it came to like barbara i felt like Kristen Wiig did a good job with the time that she was on screen. And my criticism is I wish she would have had more time. I wish there had been more time spent either at the early or the middle of the movie, particularly between her and Diana, because... She, I thought, really owned the material that she was given. But I feel like that by the time they reach the point after the Egypt action sequence, and she really makes that turn when she realizes that they want to destroy the Dreamstone and everyone has to basically give up their wishes. Like, I mean, that's her turning point as a character. Because she's like, no, I don't want to lose this. And then the next time we see her is when she shows up at the White House to go, oh, hell no. There, I, no, I'm putting my foot down. I want this and I'm going to keep this. There, there was a sense of betrayal that Kristen Wiig, I felt, was written for her character and that she played off where she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you, Diana. You're not going to take this away from me. That I felt like because we literally see them meet for the first time at the beginning of the movie, 
I felt like there needed to be more development of a relationship between Diana and Barbara to really make that hit even more as a betrayal between the two characters. And and, and for me, once again, that's that's in the right. That's not in Kristen Wiig's performance. I felt like when she was on screen, she was giving it, and I believed her when she was playing it. I just, I personally was just looking for a few more dots to connect between A, B, C, D, and E to get me there. By the time that she really, for me, by the time we get to the White House scene, I felt like I needed more to make me feel like she got more fleshed out because there's a whole period of time where I felt like they they leave her character, particularly to spend a lot of time with Diana and Steve. And I sometimes wondered, would that have been better served to give more scenes for Barbara or to give scenes between Barbara and Diana instead of scenes between Diana and Steve? I really wanted that relationship to be explored more. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think I appreciate all the... Um, relationship development that was happening and and I'm trying to think of what you would sacrifice to give us a little bit more of that and and I kind of feel like there was a little too much of the the cutesy uh, man out of the you know from the wrong era suddenly thrust into the 1980s like I, I thought there was a little bit the fish out of water the, stuff the fish out of water that, some of those jokes just got a little bit old after a while and uh, so I, I feel like they could have cut some of those moments out and uh, given us a little bit more of the character moments yeah I, for me I was thinking the 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 wardrobe scene which obviously is mirroring her wardrobe scene from the first movie but honestly I didn't need it uh, the 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 touring Washington D.C. like it was a cool moment when you got to see the Air and Space Museum, but it's like, but could I have that moment or could I have some more of Barbara? And I would have rather had more of Barbara. And then the entire invisible jet sequence, it was like, I'll, I can talk about that later when we really deal with criticism. But it's like, but once again, there's all that screen time, you know, that just basically just about, hey, here's the invisible jet. That's like, oh. like I I just see the moments between the two of them and that because. I basically got a whole movie of the two of them in the first movie. I felt like Kristen Wiig could have really have used that screen time in this movie because I enjoyed what she did and I wanted her to have more of it. Yeah. All right. So what else you got as a high point? I mean, I can give you some of mine. Please. No, I want I want to hear yours. Well, uh, some, of the, some of the things I really enjoyed about the film, I, I thought the fight sequences were, were pretty enjoyable and it was kind of like paced out or it was spaced out enough to where I, I kind of felt like it was the right time to have one. Uh, so kind of starting off uh, her you know, the fight scene at the White House, I thought was was quite fun. Um, I thought there was a lot of good moments in that. Uh, the the ending scene where she was battling Cheetah uh, on that little island, I think it was an island, where they had to sell like, the peninsula. Yeah, I, I like that one quite a bit. I, I thought, um, you know, the, the golden armor worked for me. I, I like that. I like the little interaction with that. And um, and it, it didn't go on like too long. Like it, it felt like when it ended, like I was ready for it to be done. But I did enjoy um, the little bit of battles that had i wish there would have been more like dialogue between the two during all that or between uh wonder woman and cheetah yeah between wonder woman and cheetah like i kind of felt like that was like the big moment where they could have really you know really kind of played out the whole idea that she just didn't want to give it up like i would have really wanted to kind of like build up that whole point emotionally that she was just unwilling to give it up because like this was what you know like this this wish that she was granted was what she had really been wanting and it would kind of like gave her fulfillment for the first time and that's why it was so hard for her to walk away from it like i would have liked to have that just have a lot more back and forth with that during their fight scene which so I mean that that would be one thing I would have liked to seen a little bit differently but the other thing that I just really liked is the opening I thought was fantastic in this film oh hands down one of my favorite sequences in the entire movie is that Themyscira opening yeah that no. is that is that was when you were talking about action scene like we're not like, I don't want to say fight scenes if we're talking about just action, action sequences hands down the best sequence in this entire movie is that opening Themyscira Olympic scene. That is that is the best choreographed and designed action stunt work in the entire movie for me. Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, that whole sequence, I, I wanted to see a whole film on that, <laughs> ultimately. Yes! Like, that to me... And and that's the thing, too, as I was kind of like trying to wrap my thoughts around this film. Ultimately, like that sequence in the beginning, which went on for like 11 minutes, that to me was like, to me, that was the most enjoyable part of the film for me. And it was and it was a significant step up above all the rest. Yes, I will completely agree with that. And 
that locked in for me during my second viewing. I will say, because the entire opening scene on Thermoscura is shot on IMAX. And that was apparent when I went to my IMAX screening. And I will tell you, I enjoyed it when I watched it at home on my TV on HBO Max. But I'm going to tell you, that scene plays on an IMAX screen. It, I mean, you got Hans Zimmer's score and the visuals and the, and the action and you're using the full IMAX space. That was definitely... It seems kind of weird to say the first 10-15 minutes of the movie is the highlight of the movie. But for me, it was. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it on IMAX. And to me, it was like significantly above everything else uh, in terms of like the highlight for me. So yeah. like even on my 4K TV, it was, you know, that's kind of how I felt about it as well. I, I really enjoyed that sequence. I thought it was done really well. Yeah, I going back to your comment about the, the fight sequences. I mean, I just... I felt like that was a step down from the 2017 film. I felt like the action and the moments were better choreographed in the first movie than in this movie. And there would be, like, moments in the different fight scenes, like the White House fight or the Golden Armor Cheetah fight at the end. But as an entire sequence, they under-delivered for me, personally. I liked what you said about more dialogue between Diana and Cheetah at the at the end. I really felt like Cheetah was, dispa- was dispatched too quickly and easily. Like, I, I really felt like that needed to be a big payoff for Cheetah at the end of the movie. Right. That's kind of what I, I felt like I was lacking at. Yes, I, I would agree. And also, I don't know if you felt this way, but I got a little tired of Wonder Woman Spider-Man with the lasso, <laughs> like the swinging around. I really, that was what I came into my head every time. So I was like, oh, it's Wonder Woman and Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. And I just, and I never got them ahead. I think because there are moments where we know that Patty really wanted to do a lot of practice work in the movie and I felt sometimes that choice didn't work for the sequences as designed like uh, like the wire work looked like wire work in 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 and not in a natural way like re-watching the it, the Egypt road scene it played better on the big screen theatrically than it did on my TV originally but the running just looked really bad to me and yeah and that bo- and that took me out of the film personally yeah, I mean, some of that, uh, some of the running did look awkward, but I, I think that's just because somebody running that fast would look awkward. <laughs> I, that's what I kind of, you know, take it as like it, it didn't, it, you know, like when she was running down the street of DC, you know, when she had just left, uh, you know, when she had said goodbye to Steve, and to yeah. Steve, and then she was running down her, like she was running like super fast, right? But it, it looked, it looked a little awkward. And, and I kind of attribute that mostly because it would look awkward if somebody was really running that fast. That part didn't bother me as much as the Egypt one did. The Egypt one really, like, just didn't click for me personally. But then when she got, like, in the middle of the cars, like, that, you know, that, that sort of Indiana Jones and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of moment, that worked for me. Yeah. No, it definitely, a lot of that stuff kind of felt like something from the 80s, didn't it? Well, and I think Patty, I think I even read an interview with Patty that said she didn't want to just set a movie in the 80s. She wanted to make a movie that felt like it came from the 80s. Right. And there were times in this movie that I was like, okay, maybe I personally didn't connect with that. But if that's what you were trying to achieve, you achieved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like a lot of that was intentional. Uh, I definitely kind of felt like that. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the Indiana Jones films because that's kind of what I was thinking of during the same sequence. It, it certainly felt like that. I kind of felt like some of the, you know, to touch on your point about the wire work, some things I noticed on. Um, on like at least two or three occasions in this film, things didn't seem like they flowed correctly. Yes. It, it seemed like when somebody would like, uh, even in the beginning sequence, I, I think that one of the Amazonians was spinning in the air and, and landed. And it just didn't seem like it flowed right to me. And I noticed that in Egypt as well on that road where she rescued those two kids and she came swinging down. It just didn't quite end right. You know, like it, it didn't, the, the motion didn't flow correctly to me. And those are, those are some criticisms that I had. The biggest, the biggest, uh, what's the offender of that for me was the mall scene. Yeah. That was one where it was like, oh, the, the physics here are like, I, I, was, <laughs> I felt like you. Yeah. I was like, physics! 
<laughs> no, they were they're definitely uh, that's that's one of the pretty significantly weak things about this film. Technically, a lot of those things just weren't really framed exactly right or filmed exactly right. What were some of your other like your other per, uh, personal positives? Uh, you know, I like the in between transformation with uh, Barbara yes. before she went on full on Cheetah. Like I wanted more. Like when she was like starting, you know, she had like the the really thick eyeliner and all that, and she was in that in between phase. Like I really wanted more interaction during there yeah. know, with Diana. Well, once again, I think it goes to the fact that Kristen Wiig played her scenes really well. I think we just needed more connecting dots for her. Yeah. Because she was doing well. I'll tell you, that scene where she finally kind of, where the turn happens, where she where she like kicks the crap out of the rapist, that is a great scene. Yeah. Very satisfying. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, uh, I think I, I think another positive we need to bring up, Hans Zimmer's score plays so well in this movie. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I was surprised, you know, even though I had heard the score ahead of time, I thought I would be hearing more uh, music kind of outside of the score, kind of um, touching on some of the pop music from the 80s, like we had in, like we had in uh, one of the trailers. And we didn't get any of that. I was kind of surprised by that. I I was I was actually pleased by that. Like, and, and I think I even expected that because I think Patty Jenkins also said that in another interview, like she didn't want a whole bunch of needle drops in this movie. And I, I I would chalk that to a positive, that the movie was allowed to have its score, and I thought the score played very well. And I'll tell you, uh, there was even one particular moment, like when the truck does the flip in the Egypt sequence, oh my god, my seat, like, rattled. Like, that really worked well. Okay. I will, I, I, and because I'm going to say this as a positive, my my feelings and my ultimate score of this movie, I'm glad I saw it, A, a second time, and B, theatrically, because I'm having a much more positive conversation about this movie with you now than I would have if I had just recorded this last night after watching it on HBO Max. So what was so different theatrically is because you're around other people? People. No, it wasn't being around other people. I, I think it was just I got over and this and we've had this conversation before, like we get over mm-hmm. expectations or things that maybe bugged us the first time doesn't bug us as much the second time or seeing it on the big screen with the sounds and everything just gave me a quote experience that I didn't get from just watching it on my TV. I I don't know, but definitely I was having conversations with people online throughout the day, started last night and then throughout the day. And then literally I actually was DMing someone when I got out of the movie who he and I, uh, it's actually, it was um, uh, Matt from uh, the 602 club. And we had the exact same thoughts last Last night after watching the first time and then for both of us we t- commented on how we had a much more positive experience seeing it the second time yeah i mean i i watching it two times at home i had the same thing after my first viewing um you know my my review would have been more negative than it is now and after seeing it a second time you know it's the same thing that happens every single time i see one of these films like i get past the uh the expectations that i have going into the first viewing and then i can kind of sit back and and really kind of like probe the fo- film a little bit more and so I mean, the same thing happened this time around. Even though the second time I was watching it, I was doing a lot of explaining to my daughter, yeah. you know, doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and the second time, because I actually got to watch it the fully through with my wife. And also, like, there's no, I'm not holding the baby. I'm not stopping the movie to go to the bathroom. It's like, no, I, I, I had to sit there and watch it on the big screen from start to finish like a movie. And so, I don't know. And and, and I and there were certain things of, like, I picked up on things that didn't pick on the first time or things that maybe rubbed me the wrong way the first time now because I had the full context of the film made made more sense the second time around kind of thing or or things that bothered me the first time didn't bother me as much a second time now that I got over it and actually saw it so okay do you have any more like positives are we or do we kind of move more into our sort of criticism area um let's see uh, just kind of rattling through the positives I mean I thought uh, it was nice seeing you know Steve Trevor back even though you know like I think we both said at the time like well I mean he died we don't know only need to see him back but wouldn't mind seeing him just because you know we enjoyed his performance and i kind of felt that same way here yeah i'm trying to think here we t- talked about gall we talked about chris pine Kristen wig peter pascal um yeah i mean i think i would agree um i didn't really touch on the 
score as well, but like Hans Zimmer's score was was fit really nicely with this film. Like it wasn't too jarring. Like if 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 it had been something like a Batman v Superman style score or a Batman Begins that kind of thing, like that would have been a little bit jarring here. I, I felt like it was it felt really seamless with the film. Like it didn't it didn't it didn't draw too much attention. To, you know when I was hearing different uh, different pieces being played throughout, so it it, it fit and worked really well for me. Yeah, I was kind of surprised he didn't uh, kind of draw on a little bit more of some of the 80s style you know some some of the music i thought maybe there'd been a little bit more touch of that but i already knew ahead of time going in the film that we weren't going to get that i also i appreciated how the wonder woman theme was not overused i think i remember i, I one of my criticisms of the 2017 movie was rupert gregson williams overused the wonder woman theme in that movie and i felt like it was only like it was hinted at a couple of times and it only kicked in like one time in that egypt sequence and yeah. i thought that was that was like the right amount you know it was like the goldilocks rule it was not too little not too much it was just right and what was kind of nice is like it, it you know that was really like, kind of like one of the peak moments of this film and that's when it finally kicks in and, and that's a good uh, hour and 45 minutes into it yeah yeah so that was i agree that was kind of like the nice time and it was and it's a nice variation of the of the theme i also would say i thought the the in the credit scene with the mall sequence something i hinted at when we talked about the score on the show i definitely heard some john williams influences which works out great for the 80s because i mean you're talking about a time where we would have gotten i mean that was john williams heyday was 80s all the amblin movies the lucasfilm movies the superman movies like like that's because that the the opening 80 sequence totally gave me vibes of like the opening credits of Superman 3 like that is what that made me feel like it did yeah no well and, and, and that's not a and I'm gonna say this that's not a positive for me like I don't <laughs> like Superman 3 <laughs> no but I but once again but I felt like that's what Patty was going for and the music complimented that like what they were going for they achieved what they were going for whether I liked it or not is a completely different you know discussion but I heard the John Williams influence even when I just listened to the score the day it was released I was like oh yeah this is John Williams like this is what Hans is invoking right now and I didn't hear it as much in the Thermoscura sequences in the movie but I remember when I just listened to it you know Hans wrote the Lion King you know not the songs but the score and I totally thought I heard some Lion King (laughs) in his Thermoscura sequences when I listened to the score by itself, it didn't strike me that way when I saw the movie, but I just thought I'd point that out because I thought that was funny when I heard it for the first time. I mean, you'll hear that when you listen to a composer enough times, you, you get little like hints of things that are just kind of like their tendencies, musical tendencies exactly. that show up in multiple places. Yeah, definitely heard some of that. It, it, can we talk about that mall scene? Because that was, to me, that was probably the, one of the biggest low points of the film for me. I, I would completely agree with that. <laughs> I, and it was weird. We go from the high point... Yeah of the Themyscira scene to probably the low point for us personally, which is the mall scene. Yeah, no, I did not like the mall scene. The first time around, I was just like, oh, I did not like it. I mean, some of the stuff of the the lasso I thought was kind of cool. And like some of the scenes that we had seen before uh, that were released, like her lassoing those two guys and then jumping off, you know, off into the open area, off to the side. And all, I thought that was kind of cool. But the the tone and the overacting and the, stir, you know, the... The, the 80s-ness? the 80s-ness of it like I just did not like the second time around when I watched it like I I just kind of sat back and I and I I look at it as like I feel like the whole intention of that entire sequence was to be like almost like a love song to the 80s you know especially uh the Superman films from that era because everything in there really kind of stood out as being pretty different than most everything else in the film yes and I think that's what makes it so so much of a low point is it's a sore thumb in the movie exactly by the amazingness of the Themyscira opening and then everything else that follows. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like a completely different film. Uh, I mean, obviously different setting, um, but like it, it was jarring. It was pretty jarring to me. And uh, so I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't like the the overacting of um, the little gang of four jewelry thieves, whatever they were. Uh, I, it, a lot of that was just like, it was so overacted and you had these little, little quick cuts of like these uh, facial expressions of these guys, which didn't work for me. 
me at all. No. And and, and once again, like I said previously when we talked about the and the action, the wire work just did not look good in that sequence. Yeah. Like it, the problem is it looked like wire work. You know? Yeah. The, and there was one shot that was come when she does the leg sweep. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that yep. from from Wonder <laughs> Woman 2017. Like that that was cool. But that was just one of those scenes where the action, the choreography, it just it felt less than comparing to what we saw when uh, Damon Caro did in Wonder Woman 2017. But it wasn't just the mall scene. It's the the ones leading up to it where uh, uh, she rescued the one woman and almost got hit by the car mm-hmm. and then the uh, the bride that falls off the bridge and she rescued her. Like that just, like some of the, um, th- when we talk about the physics and things like that, that was one where it just like, it didn't flow right. <laughs> well, that was the scene that made me go, wow, this feels like a Richard Lester movie. Yeah, it did, yeah. You know, like I said, it, just go back and watch the opening titles to Superman three with Richard Lester and that's what that reminded me of yeah and that's just not a good thing to invoke for me personally <laughs> no no I mean I I get it like you know and you know we we always have always said and this we believe in creative freedom and and if this is what the director wants to do you know we fully support it and and you know clearly we know that this era has a lot of meaning to her and she even talked about the meaning of the, uh, Superman the movie back from 1978 I guess 79 like so how yeah, yeah, 78. Yeah, yeah, because that was the point of like, I'm gl- once again, I'm glad we read that interview. I think it was even last episode. Those comments, they give context to what we're watching. Now, we, it doesn't mean we have to like it, no. but we can at least understand it. No, we definitely understand it. And so, especially the second time around when I just watched this, it, to me, it was like, I, I see what she was going for. And it was it was more of, like I said, as I described it, like kind of a love, love song to the goofiness of some of the films of that era. And that's what this was all about. But it was, um, which which I can understand and I can appreciate what she was doing there. But again, it was just so jarring with the the excellency that we got with that Themyscira sequence. <laughs> it was just, it was it was like, you know, I felt like I was being, you know, uh, ping pong back and forth. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's also kind of like the movie definitely had a message. And that's actually a criticism I've heard from a lot of people. It's like, wow, could you hit us over the head anymore <laughs> yeah. with the message? But I almost feel like the Themyscira scene... You know, I, I understood it more the second time around, but I still don't think that the message they ultimately ended up hitting on by the end of the movie was that clearly established in that. Like the lesson I thought she was learning in the first scene, I don't feel like was as cleanly connected to the lesson that the movie tries to tell you by the end of the movie. Because, I mean, there's the idea of shortcuts and, you know, patience. And I, I don't know. I just, and the whole idea with the wishing and the lies, like, I, I don't know. It got a little muddled to me. Like, where that, what that first scene was trying to set up and what the message ultimately ended up being at the end. I don't feel like it was as, cl- there wasn't such a clear line through the movie for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have that problem with that. Like, I, it was pretty clear, you know, at least in my first viewing by the time. I saw, you know, the message as being really kind of thrust out there, you know, by the end of the film. Like I, I remembered it connecting pretty clearly to the beginning of the film. Um, so I didn't really have that. I didn't really have an issue with that. Okay. I thought it was pretty cleanly connected. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like some of the other issues that I have with this film is the, the overall idea of like this wishing stone, whatever it was. And then it became like, you know, like it became part of him. He became like the living wishing stone. The, the whole idea that everybody was getting their little personal wishes to me became so messy and chaotic that I just wasn't. Well, I almost feel like that was reflected in the film to the point that it was like it got overly chaotic and I don't feel like the film did a, a great job of showing the chaos like why did everyone else get wrapped up in it? Like that was because he was because he had to be like personal one-on-one to like I, I, I felt like part of that was the ultimate chaos that ensued particularly in Washington D.C. You know I, I didn't feel like it was particularly coming from any place or wasn't very clearly defined and until you know I could understand the chaos that happened once he's with the satellite and the particle beam technology and his influence is literally touching everyone. Like, that I could get. But leading up to that, I, you know, I was like, how did he bump into that person to call, like, the chain reaction was very unclear to me. Yeah, yeah, it was to me too. And and this kind of suffered one of these things that I see in a lot of films where where, where they, you get this, like, scene of, like, a million different things going on at all once, and it, it just didn't feel natural to me. Uh, I don't know 
how best to describe it, but it, it like when you had all that chaos happening in the streets of Washington D.C. and you, you, you know you had uh, there was like a mother with her two kids underneath some plastic, kind of like hiding from everything, and then you had all it, it just it felt too. Um, choreographed and mm-hmm. you see that in a lot of films like when you have these like big you have like riot scenes and all that and it never quite feels natural to me and i kind of felt that in this film as well i agree um people are probably not gonna like this for me but i'm gonna say it her entire uh, diana's entire flight sequence learning to fly did not work for me a bit oh, that worked for me actually i ah, did not work for me uh, not the concept of her flying. Like, okay, cool. I did not dig the execution of it. And then it and then it caused me a problem when it came to the Golden Eagle armor. Because the Golden Eagle armor, personally for me, felt under set up. Like it like y- you get the backstory, but she already has the armor. And then at the cool climax moment, she puts it on, but you know, it almost felt like she needed to obtain it or earn it in the movie. And there didn't seem to be this sense of of she like the need that she needed to earn it because of what the armor represented and who the armor belonged to it was kind of set up because you know Antiope and Ethalta point out the statue during the Olympic Games and stuff but then by the time she used it she'd already learned to fly so why'd she need the armor with the wings and then you know and then the wings got thrown off during the fight so it was like and she had her full powers back so did she really need it to fight Cheetah. It, it, I will be honest that when it came time that the Golden Eagle armor finally got used because there had been such buildup for it in the marketing, by the time it showed up in the movie, it felt like one of the, those action figure variant costumes that we used to get in the 90s. Like, I, I felt like it needed to be a bigger part of the plot. Like, she couldn't use it until she earned it, you know, like, because of the importance of it being the one Amazon that stayed behind to allow them to escape. Yeah, and my question was why did she have it like I, I didn't even understand why she had the armor why was it not on Themyscira well it wasn't on Themyscira because no she explained that got explained because there was the one Amazon who basically had to fend off man so the rest of them to escape so she's left in man's world and remember once they go to Themyscira they they're not supposed to leave so she never okay. got yeah, so Asteria never got to Themyscira she she was she was like the one man one woman left standing in man's world okay. so the so her and her armor stayed in man's world and diana explains oh i went looking for Asteria when i came to man's world i couldn't find her but i found the armor but it just seemed kind of convenient that the armor is just there wrapped up in her apartment and then why does she need to wear it like what's the reason for her needing to don it at the end of the movie it was like oh i'm just gonna go pick up this armor now yeah no i do kind of agree like i, I think it would have been a really cool thing to do if if the armor had been used in a similar situation where she had to fend off like an army of people i thought that would have been a really cool way to have that little parallel but yeah, yeah. I, I i can agree with that criticism yeah it does seem a little odd in retrospect when you kind of think about it that you know why did she really need that with cheetah but i i think at the time her powers still were not back yet no they were back because like she renounced her yeah she were rena- because remember she that i think that's where my criticism comes okay she renounces her wish she's running down pennsylvania avenue showing that her powers are back and then that's when she learns to fly so then and then she's flying for it seems like forever but so you think she's flying away from washington dc but then (laughs) she like but then she comes back to her apartment to grab the armor to then go find max lord and the satellite like that was the why did we go back 10 steps to get the armor when you can fly without it yeah and you have your powers back like so that was i did have the same thought because i kind of felt like she was traveling a long distance and then suddenly she's back at her apartment i'm like wait a minute yes (laughs) yeah yeah so that that did feel that did feel off to me yeah so that that was one of those things that just made me go oh man i I guess the armor they built up the armor that it felt like the armor needed to mean more yeah yeah i agree anything else you wanted to i mean criticism wise anything else you need to touch on i mean you already talked about how the writing for pedro didn't didn't work for you we we kind of addressed some of that as we talked but anything else 
I think the biggest thing, probably the overall biggest problem I have with this thing is I, I didn't enjoy the whole idea of the wishing stone, and I didn't I didn't like Pedro's character. I didn't like the portrayal of Maxwell Lord, and um, and ultimately it just for, for me, even for like you know, obviously we're talking about comic book films, so like the sky's the limit when it comes to things that you have to kind of like set aside. You know, you have to you have to disbelieve an awful lot. <laughs> um, but this was one where I just kind of felt like okay, I didn't like the idea that the big bad was just granting wishes it just uh i don't know overall i i, I kind of got bored with that entire plot yeah, like were you just waiting for it to escalate to something else to become a bigger like to become a a bigger threat i felt like it was escalating nicely when it was like when he was making personal contact with people and then that's how he was like starting to kind of create all this little chaos when it just went out to the whole world that's where i kind of lost it <laughs> okay it just it just became it became kind of a mess i will i i can see that and i will and i will grant you that because i'll be honest when they, when he, when he saw the satellite in the president's office i was scouring those plants going is that brother i is there something like some <laughs> reference to like that that satellite system being brother i and yeah. it was nowhere there and i was just like okay <laughs> we don't get brother i with max lord all right and, and i'm not even saying that like i don't even want to put my expectations but i, I guess i wanted because the satellite ended up being the the MacGuffin at the end and, and, and being the location for the big final moment. You know, I, I guess I was I was looking for there to be more to it than that. And I know, I mean, but it goes with the message of the movie that they hammered home many times that, you know, it's just about people wanting things and wanting them now without having to earn them or think them through. I get that. But yeah, I, I see where you're going because also... They redeem. They kind of redeemed Max Lord at the end, and I was just like, "Dude, you almost destroyed the world." <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I, I will say, giving him a son uh, was not the most interesting thing for me in this movie. Yeah, yeah, that was another one of those things that just kind of felt a little bit forced in there, which I understand. Like, I, I, I kind of feel like if they had started off the thing giving you the backstory of Maxwell Lord of how he was abused as a child, I kind of felt like that would have maybe set things up a little bit better for me when you saw that he actually had a son and didn't seem to take an interest in him like you know i i felt like that would have kind of like made me think well you know he's kind of doing the same thing that his father did and uh i don't know so i'm trying to think if that would have played out a little bit better if we would have had that earlier in the film or not i don't know i don't know yeah it, it felt it, it it felt a little bit out of place to me yeah i i will admit that by the time we had like the him broadcasting and the the golden the, the lasso kind of spreading truth around the world it felt a little bit like I'm not sure if you ever watched this, but the this, the season one finale of Supergirl, when she gives the hope speech, yeah, it, it felt a little bit like that. And I was it like, did. Yeah. oh, this is how we're going to end the movie. Even though the message was kind of cool and the use of a beautiful lie while she's talking about truth, like that worked really well. Yeah, I mean, that that worked. We raised a question, like, how is that going to possibly be used? Is it going to fit with some scene in the film? And I thought it was an appropriate use of it. I felt like her speech there at the time, and it was, it was one of these things that I, I feel like a lot of films kind of suffer like it wasn't it was like this climax but it was not like an emotional speech from diana it was just like she it was just like almost she was just speaking lines and i felt like they could have really sold that more if they would have just had her like exasperated you know and just just you know really trying to get through to him instead of just like talking yeah like like the scene she got when she had the crap beat ever at the white house and she's talking to barbara or the scene where she's having to say goodbye to steve it's like give her something something like like that yeah yeah. Like, because that's showing you that Gaul can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, give her that, give her those stakes, give her that dialogue, and she can deliver. Yeah. But then you don't give her that in the climax <laughs> in of the, the climax, movie. yeah. But I mean, uh, but I mean, I want to go back to that, that final scene with her and Steve. Like, that was a really powerful scene. Oh, I got the feels yeah. during that scene. Especially when, he, oh, the line, you don't have to say goodbye because I'm already gone. I know. Oh! That, was, that was a really good line. That was a good line. <laughs> that was that was really good. I did like that. One of the criticisms that I kind of had with how they played that whole thing out is like I kind of felt like the the whole use of a different person. Yes, yeah. I, I had a hard time buying that. I didn't understand why. Like they it, never. It didn't need they, to be done. It one. It didn't need to be done. No. And then they never. There was never a reason given in the film for why it played out that way. Right. I mean, because you might, you could have said, oh, well, to have your boyfriend back, you had to sacrifice 
sacrifice someone else. But the sacrifice the film set up was her losing her powers. Right. So if we're talking about the monkey's paw situation, well, which is it? Like Because they, they never addressed, and they never also showed any concern that Steve took over another person's body. Right. And that, that and that bothered me. Yeah, I, I just felt like it didn't, it, it was a weird thing at the reveal, you know, when he finally goes up to her, and they do the whole thing where they kind of like circling around her. Yeah, the three the 360 camera move. The 360 camera move, and then it, then it switches from one actor to Chris Pine. I would have, like to me, it would have just been extremely powerful to just like her turn and it's him. Well, or, and that also then affected when he finally does go away, because then he just sort of like lays up against the wall and she walks away and it was like oh that's that's how you're doing that he's literally just gonna like disappear behind the wall instead of you know fading from existence or dying or or something it's like that 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 made because gall's acting her butt off in that scene it it, kind of it kind of took away from the power of the scene and the performance that she's giving for him to just kind of like i'm just gonna disappear behind this wall now yeah i mean can you imagine if like you know she had renounced her wish at that moment and then he's just like dissipating or just falling, you know, just crumbling apart in her hands. Like it could. Yes, been... that's what I was thinking. Yes, <laughs> that could have been that could have been really powerful. So yeah, that to me is a kind of a miss. Yeah, another miss for me was the invisible plane. Yeah, I mean it just came out of nowhere. It was just like <laughs> I'm gonna rub my hands together and try to make the plane invisible, and then we got it for like one scene, which was this extended. I mean, the scene was used to set up the speech that quote teaches her how to fly later. So I see plot line, like why that scene exists, but yeah. I also saw it as here's a whole bunch of time to do an invisible jet that's literally going to be used one time and then never again in the film. Yeah. And then it's just, how's it invisible? I'm going to rub my hands together and try to conjure up my <laughs> god powers to make it invisible. It felt more like we're just checking the box that Wonder Woman needs her invisible jet in the movie. Well, I did kind of laugh at the whole thing. She said she was able to make it work one time. She turned a coffee mug invisible and he asked her and what, basically what happened to it. And she lost it. I mean, to <laughs> me, that was kind of like funny. Uh, you know, it, it was amusing. But like, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it's just pure nostalgia fan service at that point because you, you really didn't need to show it. But right. uh, but I would say, you know, with what they did, I thought the whole thing going through the fireworks, uh, I thought was kind of a nice moment. Uh, it, it was overly long, but like I... That's it. The moment didn't need to go away. It just could have been trimmed. Right. And I felt, once again, when we talk about other things like character development for Barbara, those are those precious minutes I'm talking about. Right, for sure. For sure. Uh, you want to... Do you have anything else? Because I, I was almost ready to kind of, honestly, before we get into sort of ratings and rankings, I I felt like we also kind of need to talk about that mid credit scene. Yeah, let's talk about it. It was cute. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, th- I feel like it, it, it's there for the cameo. Yeah, no, it's no. that's entirely it's it's computer. I'll tell you this though, my wife loved it. Like, if we're talking like Wonder Woman fans or more general audience fans, when I saw my wife's reaction, I went, "Okay, this just this delivered to the audience that it was meant for." <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's pure fan service. I I have no problem with it. I mean, it it was cute. I I got a chuckle out of it. It was fine. Like I, other than that, like I, I don't really have much more to say about it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It works as a mid-credit scene because that doesn't need to be in the movie itself. No, no it doesn't. And I was trying to figure out was that in the eighties as well? I that didn't was know. in the seventies. Oh, 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 the oh, you mean the uh, the scene? You, you mean the setting of the scene? Yes. Yes, you could tell by the hair that okay. was the eighties. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean it was cute. It was fine. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more connection with the first film in terms of the characters that were left behind yeah you get the you get the pictures on her desk so and they tell a story a little bit like you see charlie get married you see that they saved some jews during world war ii you saw what i you saw older etta in what i'm assuming is the 40s or the 50s based on right. gall's outfit so i like, wish i would have played that up a little bit more especially when steve comes back yeah yeah especially yeah because i like the the pictures were fine but you know like they could have literally zoomed in on the pictures and just given you a chance to see those characters one more time I, I thought it would have been kind of nice like the story is definitely there but it's it's a little hard to pick up you you really have to kind of like concentrate and see it kind of quickly you know as it goes from picture to picture yeah uh did you ha- did it bother you at all with the seeming complete lack of any kind of connection to the other DCEU films universe continuity because this really is this complete standalone adventure with like you said even sort of tenuous connections to the to its <laughs> own predecessor uh it doesn't really bother me i i don't get yeah. hung up on that cuz i i you know i'm i'm of the belief that i want to give the directors as much freedom to kind of tell the story yes. that they want to tell so it, it doesn't necessarily 
bother me. I mean, I, you know, if you, if you want to be technical about it, does it really kind of fit into her reemergence, you know, for Batman? No, it doesn't at all, which is why you kind of have to treat it (laughs) as its own little, you know, its own little continuity. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like that they, she's still trying to operate in secrecy, you know, whatever she is doing, but, but it's, it is kind of strange. Like it seems like she had this little spurt of being active and then you kind of get the sense that she's just generally not active. Right. Which once again, the same thing, like if you're going to be picky about that, which I've just kind of learned to let that go. Cause I remember that was a big criticism I had when in 2017, when yes. we reviewed the first Wonder Woman film was like where she ended at the end of that film really didn't seem to connect. And then, well, if I had that problem then, I, I should really have that problem <laughs> really now have, yeah. with 1984, <laughs> which is why I'm just like, oh, I'm just giving it. No, just, <laughs> screw it. it no, just, just go no, with it. Not even going to worry about that. Just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to treat it like one of those. So like, sh- this is her solo series that for some reason doesn't really seem to connect up with the team up book. Well, like, it's fine. No, I mean, it's fine. I, I, I don't need to have nods to everything. Uh, you know, like if it was, if everything was super planned out and structured, you know, I've always maintained, like I would have loved Maxwell Lord to actually been Lex Luthor's father. <laughs> to me, that would have been, you know, a great way to kind of play this thing off, yeah. you know, to connect them up. But, you know, it's, uh, but, it, you know, it's just, it, you know, she's, you know, Patty Jenkins is telling a story that she wanted to tell. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm fully supportive of that. Like, give them as much freedom as possible. Right. And once again, being supportive of their freedom doesn't mean we also have to like it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can have my, you know, like, time and time again, when I always like have these little like fan fantasies and theories about like how I'd like to see everything all connected ultimately. You know, it, it just doesn't, it, it, it typically doesn't work out that way because that's just not what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So do you want to rate this film and then kind of reveal where our heads at as far as our the DCEU films in total? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So where, where, what are you feeling right now as far as this <laughs> film is concerned? Um, I, I like the film. I did not love it. Yes. I will agree with that statement. Yeah. Like I said, it improved on the second watch for me. It improved on the second watch. But to yes. me, this is a, a pretty significant step down from Wonder Woman, the first film. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, it is, it's a pretty significant drop for me. I would say ultimately, if like, if I'm going to give this out of 10, right? Ranking it from one to ten, ten being the highest. I'm for me. I'm gonna rank this one as a seven. Yeah, for me, I did that a five, and so for me, it was about a three and a half. Yeah, so which is the same. So yeah, so we're both at a seven. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of I, I, when people have asked me. I've said it's it's just kind of a middle of the road movie. It's not bad, but f- to me, but it's also not great. It's just it's fine. It's good. It's entertaining, and it connects. And, and as I watch as I watched it with my wife, okay, cool. It connects with an audience that like cool. This is who it connects for mm-hmm. it just it just isn't for me and once again we've stated time and again we don't need every movie to be for us no and and that's the thing like so i have to look at this thing in terms of my preferences and my taste you know i rank this thing as a seven but you know my my daughter has seen both films and she liked this one a lot better than the first one so this thing is geared much more towards you know a younger audience and and i you just have to kind of keep that in mind that you know that's clearly what was the intention with this thing it was it was to make it a lot more all ages um uh, than, yes. than what we would typically uh, probably find as our most interesting films. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, cool. So we're, we are we are simpatico. Simpatico, yep. yep. I will say this. I Like like I discussed at the beginning of the episode, I didn't I have not rewatched every DCEU film, but I was definitely revisiting films I hadn't revisited in a while. And I surprised myself. Not only has my ranking fluctuated greatly, my ratings of the individual films within those rankings have shifted as well. Ooh, do tell let's let's i want you to lead me walk me through it what's your what's your top film well top film of course is batman v superman okay and what's your rating on it ranking five it's a five out of five okay it's a five out of five mine's a my so i'm out of ten and i'm at a nine and a half so it's almost a five it's almost a five right um then man of steel mm-hmm. another five okay same for me it's a nine and a half for me and, and, and i almost start to think of i almost can't do these in ranks i almost need to do these like in tiers yeah so for me tier one is batman v superman and man of steel yep. for me personally like half a step down from that is wonder woman 2017 yeah me too i'm wonder wonder woman is my number three film it's my number three film and it's in a tier all on its own like but it's like and like i said it's only like so i i originally rated wonder woman a four Mm -hmm. a four star i've actually increased my rating to a four and a half which is where i'm at i'm at a nine 
out of 10. So, I, once again, things that... Bo- I When I went back and rewatched it a couple of days ago, wow, I just let a lot of crap go. And it was like, okay, this stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Like, the last 10 minutes of the movie, do not, do not punish the other two hours and 10 minutes based on 10 minutes of reshoots. Just, just let it go and appreciate it for what it is. And I was like, nope, this thing's moving up to a four and a half. And it is, and it rose, it jumped like three steps in my rankings. Like, no, Wonder Woman's my number three now. Yeah. Okay. I think it's been my number three for, since the start. I think since the start, I was harsher on it and I watched it again. It was like, in comparison to the other DCEU films, as I went through a rewatch, I went, no, this thing, Patty popped in this first movie and it's cinematic and it's epic. Mm Mm-hmm. No, and I just yeah. and so I, I've increased my ranking and it's now my number three. Okay, very good. Okay. Same here. So that's my tier one. Tier one and a half is Wonder Woman. Gotcha. My next tier uh, is still the same. Uh, now whether it's number four, or number five, I've I debate that Shazam and Birds of Prey for me. It depends on the mood. Like those could change based on my mood. Okay, so this is where you I and would, I differ. Th- this is where you and I differ absolutely uh, because I really enjoyed those two films and you did not like those two did not click for you like they clicked for me yeah they're fine films they just weren't like i don't consider them like top tier films well or 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 near top tier films well when i'm talking about in relation to these other movies like if i'm talking about rewatchability and my own personal enjoyment it's like one and two like half a step down is three and then a completely different tier for me is shazam and birds of prey gotcha okay then the next so then those are my for me those are my those are my like three and a half fours like maybe three seven five on a given day depending on my mood Okay. Then the next step down are my three and a halves in my next tier, and that's Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman. And really, I would put Wonder Woman 1984 over Aquaman. Okay. Because like Aquaman has the visual effects and the action and the spectacle. But Wonder Woman 1984 has the character development and the character moments. So, like, they complement each other. Like, one has what the other one's lacking and vice versa. Okay. And Suicide Squad has kind of dropped back down for me. Like, it had crept its way up, and now it's kind of dropping its way back down. And I really feel like it's the the push to see the air cut. It just continues to point out, like... I, I really want to see the actual David Ayer Suicide Squad <laughs> yeah. versus what we got theatrically. Yeah. And and, and like and so that puts Suicide Squad in kind of its own tier below one over nineteen eighty four and Aquaman. And then do I even mention Justice League? I'm not even sure. Like it's just it's just <laughs> down there at the bottom. It's just it, it's like take Suicide Squad and like take three steps down, and then there's and then there's Justice League. I got you. So and, and then for Suicide Squad, I'm still putting Suicide Squad like a solid three out of five. Okay. So so for me, it's like five out of five is BVS and Man of Steel. Four and a half Wonder Woman. Four to three seven five to four is Shazam and Birds of Prey. Three and a half is Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman, Suicide Squad's a three, and then we leave Theatrical Justice League, you know, in the cellar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I've got Man of Steel and Batman v Superman both at nine and a half uh, out of ten. You know, for me, so those are my number one and two. Got Wonder Woman number three at a nine out of ten. I've actually got Suicide Squad as number four at an eight out of ten. And and I still, you know, it, it's a it's a flawed film, but. I do enjoy quite a bit about it. And uh, for me, you know, there's an awful lot of the tone I do like. I, I You could see, you can clearly see where it was like, you know, uh, messed with. Uh, but despite all that, there's still a lot that I do enjoy about the film. I'd say there's there's a lot more to like about it than dislike. Uh, I've got Aquaman also at an 8 out of 10. It has lots of flaws as well, but there's an awful lot that I do like about it. And then I've got Birds of Prey at 7.5 stars, and that's my number 6 film. Then my number seven film will be wonder woman 1984 at seven out of ten and then i've got shazam at seven out of ten mm-hmm. and i've got okay. that one ranked a little bit below wonder woman yeah and okay. then i've got uh joss whedon's justice league uh well below shazam and wonder woman 1984 at you know five stars out of ten probably okay. even lower i don't know i'm probably being a little generous there but <laughs> yeah i i feel like like i i think where i've ultimately landed on joss whedon's justice league is like a one and a half so yeah. one and a half out of five yeah because I mean, it's like there's stuff there but then it's also been like because it's like, I can't really, as much as I despise it, I can't give it a one star because I've seen real one star movies. No. Yeah, it's it's not, it's not, it's bad, but it's not that level. That bad. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, uh, Joss Whedon's Justice League is by far the worst out of this group, uh, out of this ranking. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So I mean, we're about the same, except for um, uh, clearly Birds of Prey and Shazam, you know, play a little bit better in your head than they do in mine. So, but that's fine. Right. Basically, it's like you take, I take Birds of Prey and Shazam, and you take Suicide Squad and Aquaman. Really, if you just yeah. take those two and kind of flip flop them, that's where our rankings are, which is fine because it's what what plays for you and what plays for me. That's right. Absolutely. But yeah, this uh, I, I'd say ultimately Wonder Woman 1984. You know, it's it's actually third from the bottom in my list, and and uh, I, I just I was really hoping this thing was going to be better than it was. There's there's a lot of really great things in it that I do like, but there's an awful lot I don't like, and uh, ultimately that just kind of killed it for me. Right. Once again, it's not a bad movie. No. It just it, it's it just it, it's for us and our tastes. It's just okay. And personally, for I think for you and for me, there are other movies that have more rewatchability to us that are in, in this franchise than this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, I, I know there's people that are listening to a review here that probably absolutely love the film. And that's completely okay. Like, totally understandable. This is where it just comes down to taste. And, you know, I'm just giving you my opinion on the film. And, and uh, you know, I didn't love the film. Uh, but there are, are a lot of really great moments in it. Right. And that's the thing. There are parts of this movie. Once again, I will watch that Themyscira scene till the cows come home. Oh, give me a whole film of that. Absolutely. So, yep. I actually was disappointed. I thought there would be more of them in the movie. I was too. I was kind of like hoping like somehow it was going to circle back at to the, you know, at the end. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, like I thought that would have been a nice bookend, but it didn't, it didn't end up that way. I, I actually, you know, kind of touching on the end of this film, I did kind of like the simple moment with Diana where she was kind of like coming to terms and t- coming, you know, at, at peace with the decision she had to make basically to walk away from Steve again. It was, it was kind of like a nice, it was kind of a nice way to end the film, I thought. Yeah, my wife actually asked if it was a reshoot because it just seemed so perfect for it to, since the movie came out on Christmas Day, for there to be that Christmas scene at the end of the movie. I was wondering that too, if that was done. Uh, maybe It was shot with an IMAX camera, by the way, because it that was one, that was one of the scenes that took up the entire screen. I was like, this is an IMAX scene? Wow. Yeah, it was, it was crystal clear. You know, and they could have just added in the snow, right? Although they were all kind of dressed for the colder weather. They were all dressed for it, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the guy was wearing... Uh, the only difference was he threw the jacket on from what Steve had. So, so I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty appropriate that it ended that way. Yeah. So. All, right. All right. Well, we have another review under our belt. We do, we do, and we've got our next film. Scott, what is it going to be? Well, that's going to be Zack Snyder's Justice League in March. <laughs> I know. Isn't that a, oh, we're so close. <laughs> we were so close. So close, I know. Uh, that so. that film should do better than Joss Whedon's Justice League. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, you know, right? Especially if we're getting that theatrical release, that seems like we're getting. Yep. Oh, oh, there we go. So that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed our review. We just kind of gave you our thoughts. Let us know what you think. I'm just real curious. You know, I, I I've seen. Um, you know, after I've watched a film, I I poked into Twitter just kind of see some of the reactions, and there's definitely a wide range of reactions on this. There is like there is a there's a spectrum, and there's a reaction for everyone. <laughs> There is, yeah, and there, there's a, there are bookends of this, and that are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So. so what I would say is, you do you. Yeah. However you feel about that movie, don't worry about what anybody else, including us, yep. thinks about this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, By especially since it's on HBO Max. It's like if you're in the United States and you already subscribe, it's not like it costs you anything to watch this movie. No, not at all. Yeah, go watch it. I mean, make up your own decision. There, there's going to be things, even if you don't like the film. There's going to be some things you're going to like from it. I guarantee it. Absolutely. All right. Well, Scott, well, that is it for this week. I would say to everybody, thank you all for listening and hope you enjoyed our little discussion. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at DC Film Squadcast on Twitter. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Alan Fire. You can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can email the show at DCFilmSquadcast at gmail.com. But we're also on Vero, Facebook, YouTube, and the entire network can be found at SquadcastMedia.com. Yep. And if you guys would like to help support we're doing in this network we are a fan supported network you can go to patreon.com slash squadcast media all right guys thank you so much but once again hey stay in and watch hbo max go to your cinema safe theater and go see it wherever you want go check out wonder woman 1984 that it's worth checking out absolutely and of course whatever you do keep reading dc all right see you guys
All right, Scott, you know, watching this film, I, I, the, my reaction to seeing, you know, uh, Maxwell Lord saying, you get a wish and you get a wish. Oh, my God. That's great. So you're saying is that Maxwell Lord shouldn't have been the bad guy in this movie. It should have been Oprah. That yes. That would have been so 80s. Should have been Oprah. That definitely should have been Oprah straight from the <laughs> 80s. Come on, Patty. You missed the boat on this one. <laughs>